Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Impossible, Part 6, Ministry 401, recorded Sunday, May 2nd, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Dan with today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Wasn't that fun? Isn't it fun just to see that, that uh, uh, together um, we're able to make a difference. We're able to uh, change some lives halfway across the world, probably more than halfway, right? And, and uh, at the same time, we get to do that here in our area as well. One of the things that I love about Third City the most is our emphasis on all things kids and student ministry. Last week when uh, uh, Wallace and Mary, and I, I don't know if you're like me, for my first few months here, I thought there was just one person because we kept saying Mary and Wallace. And I thought, well, Mary Ann must be pretty awesome because, you know, we keep talking about her. And so when I met them, I was like, oh, there are two people and it's good because they're doing a lot of really good work. But it's great to have them here. And they shared this statement that they see ministry to children as the entry point to the family. Uh, and we would agree with that. And maybe that's why we enjoy our partnership with them so much, uh, because we really share a lot of the same DNA with them. From summer camps for all ages to Wednesday night rooted kids and element, there's a lot going on around here. We have a preschool program that honestly has been top-notch for two decades uh, and continues to do great things. Even our Heartland Celebration of Freedom is designed for families to enjoy together. And I want to tell you, if you are in middle school or high school, they're throwing a party this week. And uh, whether you've never been to Element or you've been every week of your middle school and high school life, they would love to have you there. And so there's information on our website about that, or you can stop at the hub and they'll let you know where you need to be and when and, and what that night's going to look like a little bit. One of the incredible ways that we get to love kids around here is connect our after-school program. Anywhere from 70 to 120 kids come into this building every day after school for a few hours. Many of you have probably had a child, or maybe you were someone who was involved in Connect as a child, and, and you've seen the impact of that program. And all of our staff, we take turns helping out in some way, and the way that I get to help with that ministry is once a week, I drive one of our big old yellow ugly buses to one of our schools, and I get to pick up 20 to 30 kids and bring them back to a place where I know they're going to be known, valued, and loved, and taught a little bit more about Jesus. And uh, uh, I drove the Thursday before Easter, and so it's the last day of school, and there's 30 kiddos, and they're getting on the bus, and they're super excited because they don't have to go back to school tomorrow. And about 30 kids get on, and the last kid is this little, probably second grade, kind of quiet, shy girl. And she's excited as well, but she was kind of late, and so she had run to be to the bus. And so she's already kind of huffing and puffing, and the same sweet teacher walks them out to the curb every day for pickup. And this girl climbs up the big steps of the bus, and, and she wants to say goodbye to her teacher. And so she turns, and she says, have a good Easter at your house. I hope you die <laughs> some Easter eggs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, 
that pause, that breath seemed to last about 30 seconds. And the teacher and I, we locked eyes like, oh no, what are we, what are we going to do here? Like, and I'm thinking, okay, whose responsibility is this? Because she's on our bus, but we're still on your property, right? Like, you need to take this. And so I've probably never heard more beautiful words than some Easter eggs. And so uh, we love kids and we love getting to minister to them. Uh, can I tell you that we're so glad that you're here today? Uh, and and our, our hope, our prayer is that being together and worshiping and, and growing and serving together, uh, it serves as the breath. <laughs> it serves as kind of refilling the lungs and hoping that what comes out of us is a result. It's really beautiful. And maybe you've been through a week or a month or maybe a lifetime that's just been really rough. And so I'm glad that you're here. And I hope that you'll, you'll breathe deeply of the love of God this morning. Parents, I also want to let you know that uh, today's story from Mark is a little bit PG-13. There's some ugly things in there. And so we want you to know that Kid City still has people standing by. If you'd like to check your kids, fifth grade and younger, uh, into that program, I promise you they will have a great time learning about Jesus in an age-appropriate way with people who just love hanging out with them and, and teaching them. What we're talking about today is a prime example of just because it's in the Bible doesn't make it okay. And, and be reminded that anytime we pick up the scriptures and we read what we're really reading is the story of good versus evil. And there's moments where evil gains one of those small temporary victories, and those stories are there to help us learn from them and to ultimately see that Jesus is, that Jesus is victorious and that he continues to win here and now. You see, the reality is that Jesus came to establish a kingdom, and any time a new kingdom comes along to replace an old broken kingdom, there will be casualties, and there will be loss, and there will be moments that look a little bit like defeat. Last week, Scott focused in on the first 13 verses of John 6. Some scholars refer to that passage and today's passage uh, with the term rejection narrative. And we take a look at how sometimes things didn't go the way that we would want them to go. I think it's kind of like this dark cloud that just kind of hovers over us on an otherwise sunny day. We talked about Jesus returning to his hometown, and he didn't exactly receive a hero's welcome. Uh, he was rejected in a lot of ways. In fact, we specifically read that there were things he wasn't able to do. Miracles that he could not perform, not because he was lacking something, but because the people of the region were lacking something. And at some level, Jesus faced failure in ministering to people that should have loved him a lot. Verse 6 says that Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. You know, two times the Bible records that Jesus was amazed, and both of them are wrapped around the concept of faith. He's amazed here by their lack of faith. The other time he's amazed is in Matthew chapter 8. <clears throat> Roman centurion, a non-Jewish person, comes to him and he says, my daughter is sick and dying. And Jesus says, I'll go with you. We'll go heal your daughter. 
And the centurion says, Master, I know who you are and I know what your schedule must be like. And I believe that you can heal her without interrupting your day. So you say the word and she'll be healed. And Jesus agrees to that. And Matthew writes, when Jesus heard him say that, he was amazed. And turning to those around him, he said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. Hear these words this morning. Maybe the most impressive thing that you can do, the most amazing thing is to simply believe that Jesus is who he says he is and to place your total trust in him even when everything doesn't make sense or life seems to have gone off the rails. And so Jesus, he lives his hometown and he's going from place to place teaching people who are eager to learn. And we read how Jesus sent the 12 on what Scott said was a go and be tour. He gave them some instructions and a dose of holy boldness and just said, you've been watching me long enough, go do it yourselves. And that story wraps up way down in verse 30 of chapter 6. It says the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. And I can imagine them sitting around a campfire and telling great stories, Jesus celebrating the wins with them, people who were healed, others who truly repented and trusted in this new kingdom. These followers were finally beginning to understand that Jesus was preparing them for something big. But there's this something odd that's included in the middle of the story. And I'll just be honest with you, most of me doesn't like it. See, for the past couple of weeks, knowing that, that I would be up here and focusing on this passage, uh, I've just struggled with it, and I've, I've wrestled with, well, what do we say about this today? And then I wondered, why of all weeks does Scott choose to be out of town this week, you know? <laughs> and so today, we're going to kind of take our medicine from the Word of God and read this and trust that God wants to teach us something through it. So starting in... Mark 6, starting in verse 14. Herod Antipas, the king, I want you to set that word aside because we're going to come back to it, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. And others said, he's the prophet Elijah. And still others said, he is a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about this, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. And so understand that what we're reading about today actually took place probably months earlier. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to his wife Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, and Philip had not died, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. And so Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless, for Herod respected John. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. 
He gave a party for his high government officials, the who's who, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, and is his stepdaughter, she came in and she performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. And I don't think this was a ballet. I think this is an ugly, ugly moment. Ask me for anything you'd like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, even up to half of my kingdom. So the girl went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? And her mother said, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back and and demanded, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows that he had made in front of his guests, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. And the soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. Verse 29 says, when John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. There's just a few things about John. He's the cousin of Jesus. Uh, He was the guy that was out there preaching in the wilderness about the coming Messiah. Jesus said about him, he said, of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. He preceded Jesus in birth and in ministry, and what we read about today shows us that he preceded Jesus in an innocent death. And here's some things about Herod. He is a power-hungry, understand this, governor. He is not a king, and probably when Mark writes that about him, and there's a little bit of mockery there, because he's not a king, but he desperately wanted to be a king. And in fact, his reign as a governor came to an end when he was escorted out of the region and rejected as a traitor because of how powerful his ambitions were. And as we read, he married his sister-in-law, but she's also his niece. And that's kind of like one of those ooh moments, right? Like, that's not okay. And when he did that, he divorced his first wife, who was the daughter of a neighboring king, leading to an invasion by that military of Herod and his people. Herod, like many rulers, was known for exploiting people, especially the poor. And I think you can appreciate my discomfort with the story, and you probably share in that. We've been reading about so many incredible things, and now something like this, and there's really no nice way to wrap a bow around what we're reading. And I I feel like, you know, I thought maybe I should just bring a comfort dog with me this morning. But instead I thought we'll just have some pictures that will kind of warm you up a little bit. I think uh, the last one is my favorite. Not that one. I like like puppies, but yeah. Doesn't that just kind of make you feel good, right? Like, I don't even think it's Photoshopped. I think that's like real life Scott Jones. Now that we've taken a deep breath, (laughs) just for a few minutes, I want us to take a look at the few truths that we can grab from this story, things that will help us maybe with perspective when it seems like things are not as we wish that they were. 
And the first one is something that I hear Scott say from time to time, both here uh, in a sermon, but also he says it to our staff when things are difficult. He says, following Jesus or ministry is hard and holy work. See, John understood his role in life and in the ministry that he was called to. In the very first week as we studied through Mark together as a church, Scott talked a little bit about Mark or about John, and he referred to him as the messenger. The scriptures referred to him as the messenger, the one calling out in the wilderness, one who was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. His message, his duty was to call the Jewish people to repentance, and he is actually the one who baptizes Jesus. And he called people to repentance, both the common everyday person, and what we read here is that he also calls to repentance the most powerful man in the region. See, and I don't think John was putting Herod in their version of a social media blast. Uh, He wasn't acting like a keyboard warrior on Facebook or standing outside Herod's offices with with a sign and a bullhorn. I think he has conversations with Herod, and he tells him, here's what I see in you. And it appears that Herod actually liked listening to him, and there was probably some back and forth conversation about Jesus. But ultimately, John pointed out the sin that was polluting his life, and it reveals that Herod's greatest weakness was his fear of actually being considered weak. And his guilt causes him to ponder who Jesus is, but he can't get to the place of repentance or bending the knee to King Jesus. And as a result, Herod's conscience dies, and then so does John. And John learns what we can see in history, what they did to the prophets of the Old Testament, they're about to do to John. And what they do to John is what they're going to do to Jesus not too long in the future. And what they do to Jesus, they will do to every one of his disciples. And that still takes place today in corners of our world. People who are losing life, losing whatever because of their faith in Jesus. So I think it's important to flash back to a couple of things that John actually said about himself. He said in Mark 1, someone is coming who's greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. And in John 3, he says, he, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. And I think that John would maybe be even a little bit uncomfortable knowing that Mark devoted 15 verses to his story. Because he, he understood a couple of important things. He understood it's not about me. And he understood that Jesus is king and I'm not. And we would do well to understand those same things in our life. See, John existed to point to Jesus because he understood who Jesus was and what Jesus had to offer. And that's what we ought to be about as well. I love this verse about King David in Acts chapter 13. It it simply says, David served God's purpose in his generation, and then he died. And he was buried, and his bones rotted. And I pray that someday the same thing might be able to be said about me and about you. We serve God in our generation, and then we pass on to be with him for all of eternity. And I think the same thing would be said of John. 
See, there's this popular teaching in our world today, and we kind of call it health and wealth or the prosperity gospel, and it teaches that everything will go well for those who follow Jesus and give money. And I think they must have skipped this chapter. Because what we see here is the depressing truth that that's not always going to be true. That there are times when following Jesus means that we need to embrace our status as a misfit, and we do that with a quiet confidence. And that doesn't need to be a shouting match, the way we interact with people. It doesn't need to be a Facebook or Twitter rant. It's just consistently pointing to the love unlimited found in Jesus. And if you need to know where to start on that, like read 1 Corinthians 13. It describes how we ought to be in loving people. It's not just for weddings. I loved what Scott had to say a couple of weeks ago. Jesus isn't putting me in places so I can win over them. Rather, he's putting us in places and situations so that with his power, we can help to win them over. And I think Jesus' ultimate hope for Herod was that he would receive love and be changed by it. And you realize, we have to realize that free will It means that people will often choose pride and power and greed and violence rather than Jesus. You can excel at showing the love of Jesus every single day and in every single way, and they may choose to ignore or do something even worse. Being engaged in your faith ministry, it's hard and holy work. And the second thing is that following Jesus means trusting that God is good and he uses all things for good. And to be honest, I think if I'm in charge of this chapter, if I'm in charge of this chapter of John's life, this probably looks more like a Marvel movie than what we read here today, right? Like as the sword is coming down, his neck becomes harder than Captain America's shield and the, the sword hits it and bounces off and kills all of the villains and the good guy wins and goes down and you know, has a buffet full of locusts and honey and the whole day is celebrated, Right? But it doesn't go that way. While John was in prison, he actually sent his disciples, his followers, to ask Jesus, are you really the promised Messiah? And I think what he's asking is, because now would be a great time for you to show some strength. He's heard about Jesus' miracles, and at this point, he wants to be on the receiving end of one of them, for the walls of the prison to fall down and, and for him to walk out a free man and go on with his ministry. But somehow, while in prison and facing his own death, for simply speaking truth, he trusted that God was good and that somehow he would use all of this for good. You know, there's a story in the book of Daniel, chapter, I think, three, and, and uh, it's about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And because they won't cave in and worship the pagan gods of their captor, they're about to be thrown into a huge furnace And their response was simply, if we are thrown into that furnace, the God we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power. And he did, in fact, rescue them. But they go on to say, but even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear that we will never serve or worship your gods. They double down on who their God will be. And I wonder if John thought about that story while he sat in jail wondering if he would be saved in the same kind of way. 
And just days earlier, Jesus restored life to a 12-year-old girl. And in a few months, we'll read how he, he reattaches the ear of one of the people, an enemy, that was trying to arrest him. And I read things like that, and I just want to say, why not John? Well, why not spare his life? Maybe it's because God was going to use it for something good. And it happens in our times, in our lives as well. You see someone cured of cancer, but your godly parent isn't one of them. We have to trust that God is good and he uses all things for good. A dishonest coworker gets the promotion that you've been praying for, and we have to trust that God is good and he uses all things for good. You watch the news and none of it gives you any hope for our future, and we have to trust that God is good and he will use all things for good. Or we hear about our brothers and sisters around the world who are losing their lives in ways very similar to John, simply because they possess a Bible and they will not renounce their faith. And we trust that God is good and he uses all things for good. You see, Jesus understood that this life wouldn't always make sense and that the good ones don't always win. And, and he warned us of this. He prepared us for it. Mark concludes this story with this simple verse. When John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in the tomb. And I don't know why he did this, but Mark leaves out one tidbit of information that Matthew includes in his writing about this. And, and that's simply the phrase, and then they went and told Jesus all about it. Really, what a great example for us. When human free will or the death of conscience puts us in a place that makes very little sense, we can go and tell Jesus all about it in prayer. And his response might just be what he said in John 16. He says, in this world you will, it doesn't say you might, it says you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. We realize the troubles we face, even the ones as serious as John's, they really are light and temporary in comparison with the eternity that waits for us. And so the third thing quickly is that following Jesus leads us to choose the best kingdom and the best king. More than anything else, Herod just wanted to be king. And in a lot of ways, he's just a chip off the old block. If you remember, his father, Herod the Great, he was king when Jesus was born. And in a fit of jealousy and rage to protect his own power, he ordered that all baby boys under the age of two in the whole region would be killed in hopes that he would get to Jesus. Scholars argue whether that meant 20 kids or 20,000, but I'd tend to think of it was one. Like, how wicked is that? And John sees that the younger Herod isn't much better than his father, and he simply speaks truth to Herod and those around him, saying, you are not fit to be a king. And Herod saw John as a threat to his power and his pride, and so he simply does what bad rulers do. See, the true kingdom message will always be an affront to the powers that be because true kingdom priority 
isn't focused on our own power or greatness. It calls us to point to him and his kingship and his greatness. A couple of weeks, I reached, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, I reached out to Brendan. He helps write our rhythms that I hope you're taking advantage of on our app that kind of prepare you for Sunday and maybe give you some good questions to talk about in a small group setting. I was like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck on this passage. Where, where do you see some, some good things in it? And he told me like, really what's going on here is this comparison, both in today's passage and what Scott will teach us next week about the feeding of the 5,000. And it's this comparison of two kings and two parties. Understand this, King Herod, he took life. King Jesus, he restores life. Herod used women for his own good. Jesus promoted women more than any figure in all of history. Herod oppressed the poor, but Jesus fed the hungry. Herod caused war, whereas Jesus brings eternal peace. Herod threw people under the bus to save his own face. Jesus laid down his own life so that you and I can have faith. And if you compare the dinner party that Herod threw here with any time Jesus has dinner with people, including what we'll see next week, man, there's no comparison. Jesus brings life to the party. Herod literally brought death. We have a good king who throws a good party. And it left no doubt for John, and it should leave no doubt for us. I will follow King Jesus every day and in every way. I'll trust that he's good and uses all things for good. I'll commit to hard and holy work in the places and with the people that he's placing around me. And this morning, for just a couple of minutes, we get to practice that party. We get to practice uh, a party that will take place when Jesus returns. And he throws a banquet for all of us. We take a little piece of bread and a, a cup of juice, and we remember We remember what he did for us. And we simply say thank you for being a good king and throwing a good party. So Father, we pray that as we take a couple of minutes here in one of the quietest parties that can ever be thrown, that we would remember and we would give thanks for the fact that you were willing to lay down your own life so that we could find life. We thank you that you rose from the dead, that you conquered death. We know no matter how this life and this world ends, we look forward to being with you forever. Amen. There's all kinds of uh, kingdoms that compete for our attention. In a couple of weeks, we're all being asked to cast votes for different people who want to hold power, and we ought to do that, right? Like, we ought to vote our faith, vote our conscience. We ought to, like, we ought to, we ought to participate. But we also ought to be reminded of a couple things, like, these are human leaders, and they will let us down. And Jesus will never let us down. Even on the darkest of days, he is a solid rock. Second, We have a kingdom that's greater than any of that. We have a kingdom. And that kingdom is so good that every person around us ought to know 
like more than a sign in our yard or a bumper sticker about a candidate or anything like that. It ought to be our lives and it ought to be our voices saying, let me tell you about a good king. Let me tell you about the king that's changed my life and the king that won't let you down because he's never let me down. We raise our hands high. We lay our whole lives down. We say, whatever you say, King Jesus, you've got my everything. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10.15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.